$300 billion of possible savings in the U.S. healthcare system using AI, 30 to 50% productivity improvement with nurses using these tools, 2% GDP savings for operational efficiency in developed countries, and 2 to $10 trillion saved globally by creating not new drugs, but simply better identifications and targeting of patients with existing medications and drugs. This is the AI promise in the healthcare industry by McKinsey's latest report on artificial intelligence. Today we're looking at why and how AI can actually be part of solving the resource allocation challenge in healthcare, both at home and worldwide, looking at the United Nations Sustainable Goals. And while some might speak to you about decentralized infrastructures and legacy IT systems, or the lack of data and the qualified data scientists to program these uh, machines, we are going to turn to a more fundamental disconnect one that has to do with AI's model of maturity, the costs in healthcare, and the policy paradigms. This is coming up in part two. And rest assured, we end on a very optimistic note, a $63.2 billion one to be exact. Welcome to Healthcare Focus, where we follow healthcare news and industry research so you don't have to. I'm Karina Paraskeev, and today we're diving into part two of a three-part series from the Thrival Festival. Stay tuned to find out more about this unique event set right here in Pittsburgh, right at the end of this show. While the private sector calls artificial intelligence the next digital frontier, quote-unquote, by McKinsey, we're also looking at the United Nations report that also dubs AI as a frontier tech for healthcare. And so they're looking at this alongside genetic technologies and drug and vaccine deliveries. And the potential that AI has for resource allocation really rests on three main factors here. There's an issue about the shortage of physicians. There's also something to be said about early detection and targeted treatments. So when you're looking at the shortage of physicians, we might not be able to train people as fast as the need arises, especially with booming populations and older populations, depending on which part of the world you're looking at. This is where technology can come in and give a little hand uh, when we're looking at um, filling in that gap and helping detect different types of diseases. So there's been different studies. I'm looking at three of them right now. One of them had to be with cancer detection, and 21 oncologists were making diagnoses alongside a machine, and it turns out that the machine was consistently diagnosing the exact same thing as an expert would in terms of identifying tumors and cancerogen patients. We're also looking at cases with Ebola and diabetic retinopathy. So that's basically looking at scans of the patient's eyes to determine whether they had the disease. And these were all successfully done by the machines. So definitely can bring in a hand there. For the earlier detection, um, this is also interesting. There's been cases, for example, with septis and osteoarthritis. There you go. Um, and the main cases here was saying that the diagnoses were sometimes good, but the problem was they took too long. And unlike the issue with the shortage of physicians, it, it's not as much that we don't have enough doctors, it's that some things just can't be seen by the human eye, especially when they're in very early stages. But the machines, through machine learning, were able to pick up patterns very early on and diagnose things sometimes three years ahead of time so that they could tell the patient, hey, this is where you're headed, and if if you change your habits, you might be able to slow down the, the progression of that disease or maybe avoid it potentially in the future. 
So this is where those kind of technologies have that added value. It's something that humans actually cannot do. And they can augment the capacity of the physician if the physician is able to access this kind of information. The last one has to do with targeted treatments. And we're looking here at two different cases, um, although there are certainly more. The rheumatic diseases and immune diseases where they get to pick... Um, who really should be having strong immunosuppressants and in ADHD for kids whether they would be better targeted for behavioral therapy or um, psychostimulants and this becomes also interesting because right now it's a little bit of a guessing game you're trying different drugs and you're hoping something works but this would actually help us target so that the each patient gets the best drug for them and uh, the resources would then be better allocated when you're thinking of a system either from the insurance side or for governments that, that pay part of those expenses. Um, it makes sure that it's a allocation where people who benefit from something are the recipients of that drug. Now, looking at a couple of disconnects, it's easy to see why healthcare is having such a hard time integrating AI. And it's uh, it's still fairly nascent for many industries, but there are some that do have a leadway in that uh, field, right? We're looking at financial services, high-tech and telecom, transportation and logistics, even energy and resources, automotive, automotive and assembly, media and entertainment. So all of these industries have a little bit of a... Uh, headway there in AI. Healthcare ranges in the same uh, space as professional services, retail, consumer packaged goods, education, even construction. So it's it's a later adopter, so to speak. And I think part of this has more to do with the policies than it has to do with the actual capability of the tools. When you're looking at the discussions that were going on at uh, Davos regarding healthcare, we were talking about value this year. So a lot has been said about how we should address this concept of value-based treatments. Giving you a treatment and getting rewarded for it is no longer sufficient. We're looking at a doctor giving a, a patient a treatment that actually is effective and get it rewarded for the fact that it solved the problem. But if you pushed it down a notch even further, you could ask, what if we could reward doctors for giving their patients treatments that actually prevents you from getting sick in the first place? And that's a very different type of question. Now, believe it or not, this actually is relevant where you're looking at data trends, right? At, at big data and at AI. If you're looking at something like obesity, Obesity is actually associated with 13 different types of cancers. And when you're breaking them down in the following way, it gets really interesting. If you're looking at the cancers that are not related to obesity, we see that between 2005 and 2014, the numbers of of those cancers has been reduced by 13% because now we have the the medicine to be able to um, affect that disease. But when you're looking at the cancers that are related to obesity, they actually went up by 7%. And it's not just old people we're talking about, we're talking about young and middle-aged adults. So you see the same trends with stroke and other diseases. And so far, we've looked a lot to towards imaging technologies when you're looking at AI. So x-rays, retinal scans, MRIs, echographies. And you could also look at data, not just images, but the actual raw data and try to make sense of that. Because if you're using correlations to predict, then you might be able to find patterns like the one above. And so the interesting thing that comes at that point is how do we prove the counterfactual? Meaning if you're having a patient health record, right now the way that it is structured 
it's so abundant with so much information that a doctor will basically scan the the records one by one manually and really check with a selective mindset of you came in for that visit with this problem which i'm rewarded to to solve and that's the mandate of the doctor right now so with that in mind it's a very selective reading that really tries to solve the problem at hand right now in front of the doctor but what we're not able to do is look at all these other things that are going more towards preventive care and saying we know that there's relationships like this obesity factor that's really tied to cancer and maybe by addressing that obesity thing right now maybe later down the road that person doesn't get cancer and that's a completely different type of treatment which we don't support right now So that's the number one flaw with AI currently. And to really understand this, you need three elements. You need to understand the AI's maturity curve, the costs of healthcare, where they come from, and this idea of policy and reimbursement structure. The When you're looking at the AI maturity curve, the association is the level at which we're mostly at right now. So it's a statistical correlation. It says if I observe X, then Y is often in the picture in this kind of relationship. When you step a little bit further with that science, you're going into more of an intervention mode. So you're saying, if I change one variable, what, how would that affect the model? And it's not just looking at past observations, which would be more, um, you know, the basic of this, what happened in the past when every time this variable was such and such. But it's also looking at when I will make an intervention, what could I predict will happen in the future if? And the third level, which is really the holy grail when it comes to artificial intelligence, is this idea of counterfactuals. So can I not only change a couple of variables and anticipate what would happen, but can I compare it to other scenarios, scenarios that may never have happened, and still be able to quantify and predict how that would play out, and understand things like responsibility, credit, blame. This, at this level, is really about causality. It's about cause and effect, not just observation. And Facebook and Google are already experimenting with this kind of, you know, next thinking, next level thinking. They're doing this by looking at whether the advertisements that you were exposed to actually made a difference in the purchase. And it's really becoming about counterfactuals and causal effects. There's a book about this you might want to check out, by the way. It's called The Book of Why, The Science of Cause and Effect. And it really presents a good model of where this this industry would be heading. And keep this in mind, I'm going to move to the costs uh, of healthcare and where they come from, but we're going to go back to this idea, this idea of AI for counterfactuals, because that's a very central thing to understand, both from the cost perspective and the policy level. Number two is the cost of healthcare and where they come from. So we're looking at the National Center for Chronic Disease Prevention and Health Promotion. And they're saying 86% of the nation's $2.7 trillion in annual healthcare expenditures are for people with chronic conditions. And then they go on listing what these conditions are. So we're looking at things like heart diseases, stroke, cancer, diabetes, obesity, arthritis, Alzheimer, epilepsy. And so in this context... The behavior that we're seeing and the the incentives that are in place make it very normal for doctors to essentially solve the problem that's actually at hand. So they're not paid to speculate on non-existing ones, right? The system as a whole, therefore, has uh, a lot of monetary costs that are being incurred right now because it's not a preventive Uh, structure it's really looking at what's happening right now and sometimes there's some waste going into that because we could have had a different outcome but the way the structures are in place you're really just looking at 
this problem that already has arisen and how to solve that. But to the person on its way to a chronic disease, there's also a cost. And that individual cost sometimes turns out to be even a human life. So that's quite an important cost, right? And when you're looking at the policy and reimbursement system in that lens, you're seeing that we're slowly shifting, but it's it's still we're still looking for even something a next step further, right? Right now we've uh, shifted towards an era of value-based payment, but Um, that's really doing the easy pre and post connection with a treatment, right? I went to the doctor, I was sick, and then the the there was an intervention, a treatment, and now I'm no longer sick. And that's the that really matches what the the maturity level right now is, which is association and maybe intervention. We're going to step into a whole new era once the machines are able to do what we call the the counterfactuals, right? So the counterfactual era will be an era where we're able to look at the complications and illnesses that would have been encountered by a patient had we not proactively acted. And so it will shift the, the mindset from um, episodic, reactive, downstream type of treatments to continuous, proactive, upstream t- treatments. And they'll be, for the first time, able to really monetize them. And that's the interesting portion of this. So where's the money? Where's the adoption? This is the place where we're actually going to tie all these concepts we saw regarding AI, the counterfactuals, the healthcare spending, the policy reimbursement um, models that we have. So first of all, there's going to be a change in this idea of accountability. So when we're shifting from association to causality, we can actually attribute uh, responsibility to things. And this has been one of the major breaks um, in accelerating AI adoption from a policy standpoint because we have what is very commonly referred to as the black box phenomenon. So in AI, <clears throat> when a machine learns and when it can actually pose diagnosis, it's unable to tell you why, what the process, the logic reasoning behind it is. And so from a legal standpoint, it's very difficult to get patients to really trust this and for the entire population it's maybe not very responsible to say well the machine said so so then whose fault is it is it the developers is it the um you know the, the people that collected the data if the data set wasn't representative is it the doctor that should have known that this wasn't applicable to this patient so there's a huge issue about uh, accountability and at the same time um a, a trust factor right and so that's where the current legislative problems could actually be shifted if we had counterfactuals because then we would be able to explain decisions and compare different outcomes and there would be an accountability on the part of the machine so to speak. There's also an accountability on the side of humans and this is very interesting because the data we get could be fed to actually have incentivized populations that are at risk to behave in different ways to take ownership of their issues and so for this first time we could say you know we our tests show that you're at risk of xyz and we also know that if you do this it'll be less at risk and perhaps um you know a new business model could actually emerge in the insurance where we would see contract models based on risks basically so using machine learning we would see okay well you for your particular condition we believe that if you de- did xyz you would lower your risk so perhaps we would reward that as an insurance company and it would become a very um 
it's a win-win in a sense, right? It would be, become a contract that is very tailored to you. And at the same time, the responsibility becomes shared, but you can actually do things to improve your health and outcome. And at the same time, reduce costs for the system. So it's a very interesting new application that could arise. Um, that's not so much for the legislation pro- portion, but really for the private insurers uh, side. And then the second uh, big implication that this AI technology would have once we do hit the counterfactual era is that we could have now a model that actually rewards prevention. So right now, even though a lot of people are sold perhaps on the idea of preventions, we can't really quantify it. We can monetize this because saying what if is not a, a good scenario not as good of a scenario or convincing as hey i solved you that much money because look i treated that patient and i did it in this fashion and then i can bill for the actions i took to solve something there's something observable in that sense um but now for the first time we would be able to basically monetize preventive care we would say we know that the outcome is this we don't need to wait to observe you getting sick in order to start acting we know that we can quantify how much uh, how many actions and how many treatments we're saving and therefore we have an incentive for people to take care of other people sooner and in this current landscape it's very interesting there's been 115 hospitals and health systems mergers in 2017 that re- that represents 63.2 billion dollars which is the double of the um merger amounts right the 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 costs that were exchanged and the benefits that were created in 2013 which is only four years earlier that's a record high and that definitely creates incentives to save throughout the system um because now the insurers are integrated in many cases with um the the hospitals the mergers is not just the the hospitals and insurers but it is also a a considerable portion of this and so under these new models just billing as a doctor and solving a problem may actually for the whole system as a whole be less conducing to savings as being able to target better to act earlier on on things and to diagnose earlier on because now the insurance is in in grind really in that system with the um delivery system and so this i think is the most interesting and fascinating idea because this change didn't come from a policy standpoint. It actually came from a free consumer market um, acting in its own interests. But it's been an interesting change combined with the, the findings that we're going to have and the shifts in, in this field that can impact the policy. I think it's going to make really on, on both sides, both on the free market and on the policy, an alignment between the desire to see patients uh, healthy and using technology to enable that before it becomes really late into the game. This concludes our show for today. Stay tuned for next episode where we discuss problem owners versus problem solvers. One of the great insights I took away from my participation at the Thrival Festival. I'm going to put a link towards this festival uh, in the show notes. It's a great event in tech. It, you should definitely check it out. It's, it's not just about the trends, but it's about reflecting on the implications of these things and where we're going as a society and as different industries. And as you'll see in the next episodes, it's somewhere where you learn as much from the people, the fellow participants, right next to in the in the audience as from the interactive workshops and the speakers on the stage check it out uh, thrivalfestival.com we'll put that in the show notes and subscribe to our podcast for more episodes just like this one i'm karina paris and you've been listening to healthcare focus